Am I making any sense? All right, my friends. Today, we have a very special guest on today's Am I Making Sense? You can find him throughout the interweb performing stand-up comedy. He hosts the twice-weekly gluten-free comedy mic, and he also hosts one of the most informative podcasts I've come across, Comics Who Love Comic Books, the very hilarious Brett Singer. Yeah. Thank All you. right. That was everything. Thank you, man. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for joining me, man. We've been bumping into each other uh, at your mic and also at other mics. And I think that this whole pandemic, if there is a silver lining, it's that comedians are kind of mingling from different markets. Right. So I'm out, I'm over here, West Coast in San Jose. You're over in New York. Um, but I really like what you're doing with your weekly mic twice weekly mike forgive thank me you. Uh, thank you and i really like your your act i like a lot of what you're doing so i wanted to get you on the podcast and just have a conversation with you um so you're a comic book guy so Very one of the so, things yeah. i like to do with everyone who joins the podcast is what's your origin story with stand-up comedy how did you get into it what was the first bug uh that bit you and got you to do stand-up comedy I was in kind of a low place. I wasn't doing a whole lot. I just didn't have a whole lot going on. And a friend of mine said, we should take a stand-up comedy class. And I had tried it once before, maybe four years ago. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. <clears throat> and it had gone okay. I mean, I was it was one of those, you know, first stand-up experiences where you get up and it leaves you up there for like nine minutes and you don't really have nine minutes of material. And you're just kind of going and going and it's fine. Yeah. But I had never really pursued it after that. And I... It took a little cajoling, but I said, all right, let me try it. And it was like a whole world opened up for me. Okay. You know, once I started going to open mics and I mean, obviously doing that first show was just kind of, it was a very big deal. You just getting up there and doing your five minutes that I, I was a lot more prepared when I did it this time. And because yeah. I had having come out of a class and it was just, it was great. And so that led to doing more open mics, doing more shows, starting to produce my own shows. And it's really become my whole life. Nice. So what was the, so you went to a school then? Uh, yeah, Manhattan, Com Manhattan Comedy School. The teacher was Karen Bergering. Karen Bergering. So how was that? Because um, I, I didn't go to school, but I definitely are any classes, but I've been looking at them. And really for me, it's just been a scheduling thing. Would you say that that's been uh, really helpful in your development or was it just- it was, it was a good place to start. It wasn't a bad place to start. I mean, what I discovered, which was really interesting, was that I had always been writing jokes like I'd always kept notebooks, not not strictly comedy notebooks, but just kind of notebooks of ideas and various other things. And I would go back to them occasionally. And when it came time to do a five minute set, I said, OK, what am I going to talk about? And I'm not someone I know a lot of comedians do this. They just get up and they just talk. Yeah. And I don't like that. I like to be prepared. Yeah, me too. So I and what I started with was I started with a lot of one liners, which I don't recommend. But it was it was an OK place to start. But yeah. It's not something that I do anymore. So I went through my notebooks and I found a bunch of jokes. And I said, you know what? These are these are real comedy jokes. So why don't I get up there and start with these? And so I strung them together. I had five minutes. And the next thing I did was I grouped those things. I grouped the one-liners into different segments. It's like, here's a stay-at-home dad block. Here's a block about the kids. And then that has gradually developed into doing longer and longer sets. But yeah, I would say starting starting with the class, the class kind of, the class was helpful, but it also helped me realize that I was doing this anyway. Yeah. The connection was made. I actually, you know what? I think I could make a good argument for starting with one-liners. Um, and the reason is, is my experience has been, if I go up with too complex of a concept, right? Uh, if the premise has multiple hits in it, or if it's a story where I'm trying to hit on a couple different funny points, it can be difficult, especially, and, and I, I made the mistake on uh, my last podcast, I always say in real comedy, but what I mean is non-Zoom comedy, if the concept is too big and too heavy a lift, you're going to fuck it up, right? Whereas a one-liner, it's those are much more concise where you have a sentence and then a bop. So I think the argument could be made that one-liners might be a good place to start. It's not, it wasn't a bad place for me to start. I mean, yeah. what it really, I mean, the, here's the thing, like I said, I had already written some. So I wanted to have, uh, I wanted, I needed a five minute set and it was like, okay, what do I got? And so I was like, I got this, I got this, I got this. And you know, you put it together and oh, look, here's five minutes. Not bad. But and one liners can get a little exhausting. There's very few, the re there's a reason very few comedians are really one liner comedians. 
Right. You know, Mitch Hedberg, obviously, yeah. obviously, uh, Dimitri Martin, you know, does really good with them. Right. But there's a reason why that's not the norm. And that's because it's, it's just very hard to do. You got to be consistent. And I think audiences tastes have changed a little. Sure. Um, like for me, I kind of, I've been, I, I would say I was molded in the sense of my humor was developing around when there was a Rodney Dangerfield, there was a Stephen Wright, there was, uh, who are some other one-liners from the old days? Actually, it feels like almost every old act, because even if you look at um, like George Burns, he was an act, but he also had so many, it, it felt like it was a bunch of one-liners that were kind of putting his story together, but the, the cadence, the way he delivered it. So um, I think that for me and probably yourself too, the, the one-liner is like, yeah, this is great. But I think audiences have just kind of changed where they want the flowing stories and they really want a connection to whatever your story is as the person. Absolutely. I mean, but now it's not to say you don't have jokes. I mean, clearly, yeah. like you can tell the longest story in the world and it can be wonderful and interesting, but if it doesn't have jokes, nobody's going to care. Yes. I mean, I mean, they'll care, but not in a stand-up comedy set. Yeah. You'll, you'll lose them. They'll say, Hey, I didn't come to a lecture. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not here for a Ted talk, buddy. I'm here yeah, for yeah. a comedy show. That's right. That's right. So how did, um, how did your change, how did you transition into zoom? So obviously the pandemic forced us all, was it something you went willingly and was like, Oh, this is great. Or is it something that had to grow on you before you started? Uh, I first started the mics because there weren't any mics. And I said, okay, I need a mic. And so I put them up. That's not true. There was the F comedy mics. So okay. I, uh, so I, I also host a, for Felicia Madison, I host one of her mics on Mondays, but it was, I need, I need, I would like to have a mic at least once a day, preferably two, but that it doesn't, it doesn't always work out that way, but I got to have at least one mic a day and like good one comedy, for example, they have a mic every day, they have two mics every day. And it's sort yeah. of a good way to just get your, just get your reps in. Like if I don't do stand up for a whole day, I feel weird, you know? So I had Felicia had her mics going and I was like, well, there's no, there's nothing that I know of on Tuesday and Thursday. So let me just start, let me start doing it then. So I was pretty willing to do it. I found, I am sort of, I, I never did it, but I always kind of wanted to do radio. Yeah. And this felt a little like radio to me, like not exactly because obviously you're on video, so it's not quite that, but it just, there was something about it that I felt, I felt comfortable with. And I, it never really, I, I didn't look back. I dove right in. So, I mean, I know there are people who are like, I don't want to do zoom comedy. Okay. But then you're missing out. You're missing out. This is the analogy that I've been using is, uh, I agree with the naysayers that it's not the same thing, but then I look at it like this. If you're trying to be healthy and you pick jogging as your thing to get you healthy. Well, ideally you probably want to be out running on a trail or in your neighborhood, but if it's too rainy, too cold, then you run on a treadmill. And so I look at zoom comedy as what, what are we bringing to the table with zoom comedy? Well, number one, it's forcing you to write your set. So I'm, I'm with you. I am the type of person where I, I always go into a mic with the plan. That doesn't mean I can't deviate. If I see something really tasty that happened in the room, okay, let me try and riff on it and see what happens. But for the most part, if I have a five minute block, I want to know I have material kind of placed in front of me that goes, okay, this will get me through five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. Um, but it gives you the discipline of preparing that material every day. It gives you the discipline of thinking of new funny things to say. And then it gets you in front of people for the most part, every, um, zoom that I've been on so far has been a comedy, I guess what you call an open mic. So it wasn't really that there was an audience there, but who cares if you could, what's better than making a fellow comic laugh, right? Like oh, when so you listen, make that's, another, that's the best. There are, there are certainly, I mean, I hate, I hate bombing in front of comics and I love doing well in front of comics. So like, obviously that's, that's a great thing, but um, no, I mean, open mic is, it's the same. It's just like doing an open mic live. I mean, you got to do it. It's, it's, you know, that I, I find, I mean, not, listen, obviously it's nice with the zoom open mic. So you don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so you can, so, I mean, you know, we're going to have what there's one right after this, we can just hop on. I don't have to worry about, you know, taking the bus, taking the subway, you know, walking or anything like that. I can just do it and it's going to be fine. And I, by the way, I need it um, because I got to get my reps in. Yes. But uh, although I have to cook dinner tonight, so I might not be able to, but I'm hoping. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, life, life always takes, uh, well, for me anyway, I always put the priority of, you know, 
taking care of business, so to speak. Oh, no, you have to. You can't, you can't. I mean, I can't not cook the chicken because otherwise then, then there's no dinner. Yes, that's right. Bottom line. Um, but I, I, so that leads into another question I had for you. That's very good. So, um, sidebar, one of the, I think he was in New York for a while. You might know him. His name's Jordan Leung. Um, but he, yeah, yeah. He, um, his, he started a, it was more of a showcase, uh, but he started a really early zoom mic and he called it no pants comedy. Nice. <laughs> so that's what, that's the beauty of it, man. You just show up. Maybe you have slippers on, maybe you have flannel PJs on whatever, but no excuse no excuse not to be telling jokes in front of other people in this day and age. Um, which leads me into the next question are, do you think you're going to have difficulty transitioning back to making that subway trip, uh, in, into your open mics when things open up again? Um, and then um, that's a really good question. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be, it's definitely gonna be a big adjustment. Yeah. I mean, there is just, I cannot tell you how nice it is to just be able to, as you say, just kind of roll out and just like, for example, even with like, I got to, like, I got to make dinner tonight. So I'm not sure if I can do the mic, but if it were somewhere other than my house, I would absolutely not be doing the mic. It would be a a non-starter as it is. I'm like, well, maybe I can get it. Guess maybe I can squeeze it in there if there's not too many people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think that, um, I think it'll probably be a little tricky to transition. I think it will be okay for a show. Like I'll always go anywhere for a show. I did an outside show in Harlem and I had no problem doing that. Yeah. But when it comes to, when it comes for an open mic, I'm definitely going to be less inclined to make the trek. I think zoom mics are going to stay. I yeah. think it's still going to be a thing. I, I'm not, I'm not suggest, I'm not trying to say that they should replace or anything like that. My prediction is that they will stick around because I think people have come to like them. Um, you can do multiple ones in a day. You could, it's, it's, you're still practicing your set. You know, it's still not a bad thing to, you can still get your reps in. It's it, obviously being in person is nice. Yeah. There's no, you know, that's no, no doubt about that. I think that the consensus is, um, from everyone I talked to on this podcast is that zoom is here to stay. And I agree with that. And I, I, I want that because, um, I didn't realize it until the shutdown happened, but I was kind of putting a little too much effort into stand up where I was exhausted, you know, because I'd be getting home at whatever one, 1 AM, one thirty, And then I'd be waking up again at whatever, five thirty six to go to work. And then I got the family, I got the job and I, I'm kind of going crazy. And then what happened is when I started sleeping more, I realized, Oh, I was trying to take on too much prior to the pandemic. But now that I'm in this cadence where I'm doing, I'm really only doing quote unquote, late mics twice a week. And even a late mic for me is 9 PM. And then the rest of the mics, I'm just kind of working around in my afternoon, thanks to the East coast stuff that's available to me. So, um, I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to struggle going back. I definitely want to go back. I know there's a whole group of guys. I used to do it with guys and gals. I used to do it with here in um, the South Bay who they just don't do zoom mics. So I, I don't know what they're comedy status is. I don't know if they're writing. I don't know what they're doing. Um, so I want to go back to that, but man, I, I'm going to stick with zoom as long as it will stay around. And I almost think it might become a thing in and of itself. If we can draw audiences to where I'm trying to think like, I know zoom has a webinar feature where you can have hundreds of people or thousands of people, whatever. If it can really start to draw audiences, I almost feel like there's a new market brewing, if you will, because now we have international talent. We have comics from wherever we can book from wherever it's kind of an exciting place to be. I think. I don't know. Absolutely. Oh no, no, no. It's been great. I've had people from all over the world. I mean, it's, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. People show up at the mic from everywhere. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. There's no doubt about that. There's just there's no downside, right? Um, to, in that regard, the the downside. I totally get where people are coming from, in that you know you want to be in person, you want to be in person, you want to be in person. I just feel like you know I'm not going to schlep to Central Park. I mean, that doesn't mean anything to you because you're in L.A. But yeah. you know, I'm not going to schlep out to the park. So it's going to take me an hour and a half to get there. And, you know, so I can do five minutes in the middle, you know, in the middle of the freezing cold or I, or I can do like three mics just from, from my office. And I mean, just, I don't know. I just feel like it's easier for me. The math is pretty easy on that one. And there's definitely a split. There's absolutely, I sort of joke about the outside people 
Yeah. You know, that they're, they're the inside people and the outside people. And it's like, you know, we're the Morlocks or something. And yeah. they live, they live in the, the above ground. And, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah. and I, I think there's something to that because I think there are absolutely people who look down on the online stuff. And I find that, I find that a little shitty, to be honest. I, I don't really appreciate that. No, no. I think, I think it's one of those things where there's always going to be the clicks and then there's going to be the people within those clicks who can't see beyond the click. And I think that's really what Zoom comedy comes down to is that there's people who are in there, like you said, the in-person comedy. And then instead of just saying, oh, well, it's not for me, but that's cool. Do whatever you want. Then they have to take their little jabs, you know, their little shots. I've heard it where, uh, you know, some stand-ups will make fun of um, like... Uh, They'll make fun of improv or something or sketch. And I'll be like, well, what does it really matter? People are doing whatever they want to do to get in front of people and entertain. Like I'm, I'm for any of that stuff. I'm for zoom. I'm for, well, right now I'm not so much for in-person because I think there's a risk involved with that, but whatever, when we get back to it, I'm for in-person, I'm for improv, whatever people want to do. But I think it's just human nature that some people get in their little clicks and then they can't see beyond it. And they're like, oh, you guys are dumb for doing this. But 100%, do you think, so here's, here's what I've been trying to answer. Um, there have been times in person where I know I, I, I stumble upon a joke or so, I do something in my set where I go, okay, that's good. That has to stay. And I just know it stays because of feeling I got, I go back, listen to the audio, whatever. I go, okay, that was good. I haven't figured out zoom to where I go. Oh, you know what? That thing is really working and I got to keep it. I feel like I'm still throwing spaghetti at the wall. Um, when I'm trying to get better at zoom comedy, have you found, um, that you're able to read a crowd or find out what works well from a zoom room? Or are you still struggling with that too? Um, I would say it's harder, but it's not impossible. I mean, I have certainly, I can figure out if a joke works, it's, it's easier, definitely easier to tell what works. If a joke works, people are laughing and you're in good shape. You know, like, you know, people are laughing, even no matter where you are, if you're online, you're in person, whatever, people right. are laughing, the joke works great. Thank you. Bank it. Yeah. Um, in terms of something not quite working, there are things that happen on zoom that don't happen live. Like there's the lag. Yeah. So a joke might not work because you had a lag. Right. You know, or or the, your audio. I mean, you're, I've seen people's audio cut out. And it's happened to me cut out in the middle of the punchline, yeah. you know, and so something like that, obviously, you can't predict and you can't you can't really base anything on that. You can't make a decision based on that. It's just, you know, it, it's an unpredictable factor. So I would say it's I would say it's not as easy. You know, I, I still tape all my sets. I'm, I'm sort of that crazy. I sit there with my phone and I record everything. I've got every set I've done and I can go back and I can listen to it. And it's like, okay, people are laughing here. People aren't laughing here. Or more likely than that, what I use it for more is I say something that I wasn't expecting and something comes out of my mouth and it's like, okay, that was pretty good. I, I really want to keep that. You know, and sometimes it's not even not even necessarily with the reaction. Sometimes it's just like, I think that was good. Even if it didn't get the best reaction, I want to try that again. Okay. That's interesting. You say that because, um, I, I record everything too. And I, I, I don't necessarily go back and listen to everything, but I feel there are days where I go, okay, I need to do some homework. And that homework involves listening to, you know, three or four sets from a week ago or a month ago or whatever, and try and transcribe it or think about what was said or how I said it. Um, but you bring up a really good point. A lot of times, and this is, prior to zoom too, a lot of times I just keep things, maybe it didn't get the reaction I wanted, but I really like saying it. So I'm kind of almost willing, like, this is so much fun for me to do this joke or this bit or whatever that by bringing it on stage over and over again, I'm going to find a way to make this work just because I love it so much. And that's how I've been with zoom. Um, recently, I just been like, well, I felt good saying it. And I think I heard a laugh here. I saw a response there. So I'm just going to keep it and keep working on it. I don't have a hard rule. I know there are some people that have, you know, I'm going to try it this number of times. And if it doesn't work, I'll throw yeah. it out. And I mean, it's probably better to have that. I don't have that, yeah. but I do, I will try things for a little while. And if they don't work, then eventually I will stop doing them. 
But, you know, but I will certainly keep trying things because it's like, I like that joke. And yeah. if it doesn't work and you want to keep trying and it's sort of like, well, you know, and then eventually you get rid of it and you're like, uh, you know, all right, I guess, I guess it just doesn't work. Oh, well, but maybe you're wrong, yeah. you know, or maybe you try it in a different way. You know, I, you know, you try, you, you move the words around a little bit and maybe then it'll work. Generally, I find that it doesn't. I find that if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Okay. But I will I will keep trying things because why not? It's just a mic. I mean, it's, you know, that's yeah. where you're supposed you're supposed to be able to try things at a mic. Yeah, I I'm with you on that. So I um, there are some things I can't get to work, but I love telling them as stories, but they don't work on stage. And I, I keep them. Obviously, they're in the notes. And someday I want to be able to come back to them. I know. Um, are you familiar with the comic Gary Goldman? Oh, yeah, of course. OK, so he was doing tweets. He might still be doing them, but at the beginning of last year, and one of his tweets, uh, and they were just tips for doing stand-up comedy. Maybe right? No, they're great. It was, yeah. was true. I really, I want him to collect them into a book, just because yeah. I absorb information better that way, and I understand they're all online, so it's fine. But yeah, you know, well, I, he, would prefer, he, I would prefer a book. Yeah, I, me too, because I, I actually don't really know how to read. I feel like such an old man when I say things like this, but I, I can't. Twitter is so messy for me. I don't know how to follow the format. It just doesn't suit my ADD. Like I'm looking at too many things. There, there was a great um, New York Magazine or Vulture, whatever. I think Vulture is part of New York Magazine, but they they did a thing that the Gullman tweets annotated. So if you Google Gullman tweets exactly. annotated, and that was great, and that yeah. was terrific, and it was sort of they were grouped, and it was, and you know, it's still not quite what I want, but it was a much cleaner experience, and I was able to you know get something out of it way cleaner. Cause I was so distracted by all the back and forth and all the tweets that I probably got through like 20 or 30 of them, whatever. But I think I came across that list and, and that was great. But one of his points was, and this always stuck with me is, um, and most comics, I, I believe don't think in these terms because it's tedious, but he said, try and transcribe word for word, some of your sets. And then see if you can play with the words, which is, it's a lot of work. It's a tremendous amount of work. I freely admit I have done it, but I do not do it as regularly as he suggests. Oh, me neither. No way. And I, I, every now and again, I'll go through and I'll say, all right, I'll do partial homework. I'll, I'll write down this bit on, on this recording that I have. Um, but I won't, you know, go a whole five minutes. I wouldn't transcribe that. That's, that's, uh, insane. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm with you. I don't like giving up on things and I keep things around, but ultimately like for instance, this story I'm thinking of where I was attacked by two dogs, it's hilarious to me in conversation. I can usually make it work, but it just dies a really horrible death on stage every time I bring it up, but I'm hoping maybe like 10 years from now, I might be able to figure out a way to make it work, but who knows? Um, so what are, what's some of the best advice you've gotten? since you started doing stand-up comedy, that's really helped. Oh God. Um, one of the first pieces of advice I got from Andy Angle, who runs Manhattan Comedy School is don't run the light. And that ah. has really stayed with me. And I got to tell you, a lot of people do it and it drives me crazy. Yeah. Is when, you know, I, I actually, I shouldn't say a lot of people do it. It, I, it had happens. It hasn't happened much at my mics because I really police it hard. Yeah. Cause I just, usually there's, you know, there's 10 to 15 people there. Yeah. I'd like to be done an hour. Nobody wants to be sitting there for an hour and a half. Yeah. And so don't run the light. You get five minutes. You don't, you don't get, you don't get as much time as it takes you to finish your bit. Yeah. yeah. You get five minutes. It's not the same thing. Yeah. So if you, if you are doing a bit and it's too long, look what I did early on. And I think this was either a piece of advice I got specifically, or it was something that I kind of crafted is when you get the one minute light, have a bit that is less than a minute that you can go to right away. This has become less of an issue now that I, I'm, I become much better about knowing how long my bits are and knowing how, like, you can just kind of feel it. Yeah. Like Bill Burr once said on his podcast that comedians can feel time. Uh, and like, I keep, I time myself. Like I'm always timing myself when I do a zoom show, but even without that, like if I'm doing a live show. I can kind of, it's like, it's been about five minutes. I can kind of get a sense, you know, like I, I know if I get the light, I'm like, okay, I know, but really what it is, let me go, okay. If I get the light, let me go to the next thing. I, uh, and I have to set it up. Like my, my closing bit is a thing about my son being gay. I have to have already set that up. Yeah. I have to have set up that I have two kids. There's certain, there's various pieces that have to be in place for that closing bit to work, which is much more complicated than when I first started. When I first started, it was just sort of a general thing about being 50, being almost 50. And that was a much easier thing to go to when you have, you know, when you get the one minute light. Yeah. But 
you know, it's like, I need to know, they need to know I have two kids. I need to, they need to know that one is gay. They need to know that, you know, the other one is into musical theater. They, so, and then when I get then, so by the time I, so I have to set all that up. And then when I get to the last thing, it's like, okay, now I can do this bit. And I have different versions of the set. I have the seven minutes, the five minutes, you know, overall. But so that was definitely a good piece of advice. And the other, which is very generic, but it's very true. is just write every day. Yeah. And I free, I freely admit that I have fallen off on that. I, what happens to me is I can get, I, I was doing a Star Trek theme show with Sharon Simon, which was great okay. and was super fun. So I was really hammering that show because I wanted it to be good. Yeah. So that's what I was really practicing. And so I did not spend time writing anything else. Right. And so what I need to get better about is saying, okay, I can put that to the side and then I can focus on writing, you know, at a time when I'm not practicing that one particular set. Got it. Yeah. I, I haven't worked on that skill at all. I never know where I'm at. I get the light. And then I think once I get the light, I'm with you in that. I know I have some short, almost like one-liner stuff I can go to, but I've certainly been caught where it's like, oh, a minute. Uh-oh. I have a lot more. And then I'll just have to think about what I want to drop. And then it just gets, it gets bad really quick. Right. But you can do, but you get to the point where you can do, you will, you will learn it. The more it's really just a matter of doing it over and over again and knowing your material cold. Like I've got a seven minute set tonight. Um, and I actually, what I've done is I sort of make set lists. And so I've got it on a post-it note. Yeah. And so I can, so and what I can do is I, it, I know this set pretty cold, but if I need to, I can just pop this up by the, by the camera and then it's all right there. Yeah. And so this, this one little post-it note is set is seven to nine minutes. So this set is anywhere from seven minutes to nine minutes nice. and, or, or for that matter, it could be a five minute set, obviously, if you just do less of it, but you know, you just kind of keep glancing at your clock and say, all right, so I'm at this point. I know if I do this, that's going to be about two minutes. I know this is going to be 30 seconds. It's a, and it's not perfect. Some comedians have it timed down to the second, every single bit and where the laughs are supposed to go. I am not that comedian. Yeah. By the way, my, fa- my favorite bit of Gary Goleman advice was some comedians can get up and riff and not write and just say whatever's on their mind. You are not that comedian, ah. which I just thought was fucking brilliant. I, I've said that so many times and it stayed with me so you know so much because it's like, that's right, Gary. You're absolutely right. I'm not. Yeah. You know, um, I would apply that statement that he said to so many things. I think we like to uh, lionize or, or, or create these myths around entertainers and it's in the music world too. And it's in comedy where, oh, these guys, they just had it. They could just make things happen. And maybe, but the older I get, the more I think, if you say someone had it, it's because there's um, all of these hidden hours, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of hidden hours behind them that make them look like they have it. So I would imagine that even the comics who say, no, I just go up and riff. They, maybe they didn't write on paper. Maybe that's what it was. But I'm sure in their head, they were always working. I think Jay Leno was one of those guys who said he never, because he has, uh, I guess, really bad d- dyslexia or something. And so he couldn't write things on, but he, it was all in his head. But you're still, I mean, you're still writing, you're preparing. He's got to still be writing. I mean, he can't, yeah. I mean, he he used to do these. I saw him do like an hour and a half set once and he is not my favorite at all. I was definitely yeah. on Letterman side of that feud. Oh yeah, yeah. But, um, or the kind the Conan side for that matter, but yeah, I so he was he was terrific. He's a terrific standup. I mean, he, he I saw him at the Comedy Magic Club in Redondo Beach, which is a tiny little club yep. that I, I I don't know if he still does it, but he was doing it when he was doing the Tonight Show, and he would practice his set for the week. So he wow. would do like an hour and a half, right? And and he and that would be all the and then from there he would pick the best jokes. Like it was, I was really interesting watching the show that week to see what wow. he had decided to pick and what he decided to keep. Yeah. Um, he made fun of me. It was great. It was great. He was he was really really good. Yeah, he was terrific. But that's what Gary Gelman did once. I was at Westside Comedy Club. He was the headliner, and he gets up and he does this amazing bit of crowd work. This woman wasn't. This woman was talking during his set, and he did a whole thing, and it was it was really masterful. It had to be it had to be ten minutes. And so wow. I turned to my friend and I said, "Hey, that was really amazing." And he said, "Yeah, it was also amazing when he did it last week." Uh, and it was. It wasn't spontaneous. It just it looked spontaneous, but it wasn't. It's like a magic trick. Yeah. You know. So I mean, he he had something ready. There's always somebody talking during your set. That's yeah. that's going to happen no matter who you are, no matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter. Someone's going to be talking. So all you have to do is you've got your people are talking card. You yeah. pull that up and you go boom, boom, and you hit people with it. And and they're and they're they're hearing it for the first time. I hadn't heard it before. Yeah. So I was completely blown away by it. I probably still would have liked it if I'd known that yeah. it, that it wasn't brand new. But you know, 
it's I there's a lot of preparation, I guess. I'm just agreeing with what you said. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So uh, speaking of preparation, I want to bring up podcasting. So I've listened to, uh, not, not all the way through, but I listened to a couple of your podcasts already. And wow, you know your stuff. Oh, thank you. So let's get into first off your podcast and then, and then let's just get into comic books in general. So how long have you been doing your podcast? What was the inspiration to start doing that? Podcast is about a year and a half, but okay. it really kicked in. I'll be honest, it really kicked in over quarantine sure. because I was able to really, I like to edit out things. Like I like to edit out the ums and I like to take out the pauses and I, you know, I try to get it as tight as I possibly can, which takes time. I've gotten pretty good at it, but it still takes time. Okay. And so I was able to do that. Um, with quarantine, I had I had more time, so I so I was I, I just got into a nice rhythm of recording every week and getting the episodes up. I've got to post this week's episode. I've gotten into a nice schedule, which is you know something that you need to do if you do. That's like the first thing they tell you about being up doing a podcast is be consistent. Yeah. So that's obviously very very important. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that the, the the inspiration was something called Comic Con. Okay. Not Comic Con, but Comic Con is in communist. Yeah, sure. So a friend, a friend of mine did like an alternate Comic Con called Comic Con, and he said, "Why don't you do a panel of you know comics talking comics?" Okay. And I was like, "Okay, that sounds really fun." So I put the word out. Our, you know, comedians who are into comic books. Yeah. I got a few people. I had them. It went ridiculously well. Like it yeah. was so much fun. I had, I had such a blast. It was, I, you know, I, I love hosting. I mean, you see that when I do the yeah. mics, I, I love hosting in pretty much all capacities. And so it, this was a matter of hosting, but it was with comic books and with comedians. And I just sort of went down the panels, like, what do you think of this? And who thinks that of this? And then, you know, just went back and forth and it was great. So he said, my friend said to me, why don't you do a podcast of, you know, the same thing. And I said, that's a great idea. Yeah. And so that's what I, so that's what I've been doing. And uh, thanks to things like the Displaced Comedians Facebook group yeah. and other Facebook groups, I've been able to find more and more comics who are into comic books. And that's, so I've been able to do one every single week. When did you get into comic books? Oh, when I was seven, I think. Okay. I mean, was you there, know, a very, very long time ago. Was there a particular one that drew you in yes. or you just wanted all of them? No, no, no. I start, well, I started reading things like Richie Rich and Archie. Okay. And then my dad said, it's time for real comics. And oh. he, gave me a, he gave me a copy of Dr. Strange. Oh. And that just blew my mind. Like I remember specifically that the, the type was so much smaller, mm -hmm. you know, like there was something more serious about it. Yeah. And I can remember the splash page. I'm still looking for the exact issue. I think I found it. I have to go back and look, I've got a couple of trade paperbacks and I think I found the actual issue. And then I would want to, you know, get my hands on it because obviously the, you know, the very first one would be a cool sure. thing to have, yeah. but it just, the whole thing just spoke to me. I mean, I, I just, it was, it, it's a fun one to start with because it was, it's not like, like I didn't relate to him the way I eventually related to Peter Parker. You know, like yeah. I very much relate to Peter Parker. His life sucks. My life sucked. Yeah. He was, he was a nerd. I was a nerd. You know, he had spider powers. I had spider powers. You know, there's a lot of similarities, <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying right, to say. Right, right, right. Yeah. But, um, but with Dr. Strange, it was just like the whole, the whole Marvel universe, the whole Marvel thing was just really cool. Yeah. And I got into it immediately. I was, I, I, as soon as I saw it, I said, I want more of this. Nice. So, um, are you one of these who you've collected them and you haven't gotten rid of them? So you still have, Oh, I have so many comic books, Matthew, okay. Matthew, Matthew. I have so many comic books. My wife, the, the current source of friction in the singer household is that we have a storage space that we are paying for and it has maybe 15 boxes of comic books and I need to get rid of a lot of them. I can keep, I was, I've been told I can keep some, yeah. I'm allowed to keep a certain amount, but it's probably going to be down to like three or four boxes. Yeah. And that's going to be really hard. I'm not going to lie. That's going to be extremely difficult because I'm going to have to go through. There's some I want to keep and there's some I'm willing to get rid of. And it's going to take a lot of time to, to make that happen. Man, I'm trying to think of a way you could save this all. So when they're just sitting in, so here's the thing. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate. If they're just sitting in storage, I, then I agree with your wife. They're not doing anyone any good and they're costing money. But if there's a way we could get a Brett Singer uh, comics who like comic books, eBay page, where you have like a weekly thing where you go, this is my comic book from whatever. And you have a little memory about it. Right. And then you just auction it off. Then you can tell the wife, well, no, 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 this isn't just storage. This is an actual business. That's, uh, uh, uh They're worth the, the problem is, is the vast majority of the ones that would be worth something are worth nothing because I didn't pay, I didn't pay, take good care of them. Like I was reading them. So, you know, I'm 10 years old. I'm not thinking about value. 
Wow. I never. They're all bagged and boarded now, but yeah. they needed to be bagged and boarded in 1982. Sure. And that's, you know, like I have all the Frank Miller daredevils and those are actually worth money because they weren't oversold. And they're, I mean, when I say worth money, it's like 50 bucks here, $75 sure. here, but you know, that's not nothing. No, it adds up. That's great. Um, but they're just not in good condition. They're, the vast majority of them were just red and red and red. They, I, I, what, a, a smart friend of mine, there was a Wolverine miniseries that I think in really pristine condition is worth a few bucks. And he, he bought two copies. And I was like, why would you buy two copies? That's stupid. Yeah. Like, why would you bother doing that? And of course, I'm the stupid one. I should have yeah. bought two copies because then I'd have two copies of this, you know, terrific thing from 1981 or 1982 or whatever it is. Yep. Um, yeah. So he had some good foresight because I don't think any of us were thinking about that back in those days. No. Um, so question for you. Back in, let's just let's just take a date. Like, let's say back in 86, if I would have come from the future and told you, uh, Marvel Comics, DC, um, Star Wars, and even Star Trek are some of the biggest pop icon phenomenons from 2010 to 2000 or 2005 to 2020. Would you have believed it? Um, I think so. Okay. 19, 1986, I was kind of a pain in the ass. I was into punk rock. I was, yeah. you know... I was a little bit of a rebel. Um, I might've believed it. I was reading comics though. So I think yeah. I would have believed it. I, it's the value of it. I never really saw them as an investment. I never saw right. them as any, as anything other than something to read and something to hold on to and an object to cherish. Like I really did. Cause I really do love them. I mean, I don't, I don't love them the way I love my family, but I obviously do, but you know, as much as one can feel, feel strongly about an object, I feel strongly about my comic books, but especially the ones from my childhood. Right. I less the, the less old they are, the less strong I feel about them. Yeah. But there are certain ones that are just really good. And it's like I want to hold on to them because they're really good. Yeah. Like Civil War, the Marvel Civil War was, was really good comics. I want them. Yeah. I want to be able to go read them if I want to. And the truth is I shouldn't care because they're all on they're all online. Like they're all on digital Marvel Digital Unlimited. They're not oh, Yeah, that's it's not, not the same thing. No. But boy, oh boy, would it be nice to not be paying for a storage space to store these comic books. That's really, you know, yeah. that's kind of the bottom line. Okay. Uh, okay. So you would have been like, okay, I can buy into that. I could see them being like every, every year there's a blockbuster that's uh, from a Marvel comic book. Um, so next question on that, I guess on that train is, Having followed comics, because for me, I kind of got out of them at a certain point. And really, the only comic book I followed religiously in the 80s was probably X-Men and uh, Bat whenever Batman became more of a dark anti-hero type. Right. Dark Knight Returns era Batman. Yeah. Yeah. And then I kind of got out of it after that, and I haven't been continuing with it. But do you think that what Marvel Studios has done... Um, has been in keeping with the storyline from comic books or maybe not even the storyline. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is, do you think they've been doing a good job or a bad job and not just Marvel, but let's even throw in DC and whatever. Well, Marvel's Marvel's done a good job. DC has not done a good job. Okay. I mean, the movie, the movies are the, are the proof. I mean, ultimately the Marvel movies are so much better yeah. there. They tie together in new and exciting ways. It's, it's, it's like the comic book universe, except it's the screen universe. They took the same basic idea of a comic book universe and they put it into a movie. So you have all these interconnected things. You have this character showing up in here. I mean, what was fun? I don't, I'm not sure exactly how old you are, but like on super friends, it was really fun when a new superhero showed up and hung out with the super friends. Like I was always excited when flash would be there. Flash yeah. wasn't there all the time, but sometimes he was, and that was really, cool yeah. so you know when you have when the spider-man movie is coming out and dr strange shows up that's going to be really neat yes i'm going to be excited about that so you know i just they've done a really good job the dc movies i mean aquaman made a billion dollars and it was terrible absolutely yeah. awful it was really unwatchable and you, you can tell it's unwatchable because i saw it once and i haven't seen it again most of these movies i watch multiple times like I will even watch the Zack Snyder Justice League again, just out of curiosity, because I'm curious, what, you know, what he does with it. But you know, the the DC movies just haven't been as good. They haven't figured out how to make them work together. People point to Joker. Joker's like Joker's not a superhero movie. Joker was based. Joker was they they they. I, I I'm told that they had a story for they had a script about a crazy guy, and they said, why don't we make it Joker? Which makes which would explain a lot of things about that movie. I don't know if that's true, but it, but it certainly rings true to me. 
you know? Yeah. So that to me is not the planning and the care that goes into the Marvel movies. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. The DC movies, I can't figure out what it is. I haven't watched Aquaman. Um, but I have watched a number of the DC movies and I all think, I, I think they're all good, but there's something, it does feel like something's missing and they're trying to do these things. Like they've brought together different DC superheroes. Um, but yeah, people just aren't, it's not resonating with people. Um, did you watch the most recent Wonder Woman? Oh yeah. Terrible. You didn't like it. Terrible. Okay. Absolutely awful. I mean, really just inexplicably bad because the first <laughs> one was good. Oh no! It was, it was and I like her. I like I like him. Yeah. I I enjoyed the first one, and it almost it makes me wonder like, did I miss something? Was the first one actually not good? Like that's how bad it was. I just I just thought they completely missed the mark. They just did all these weird stuff. He's coming back in somebody else's body. I mean, it was just like, what's going on? Yeah, the back in someone's body, and then just kind of going away towards the end. That that was a little weird. I don't know. I'm not. Um, not the best superhero movie, but I kind of liked it. But the one thing I will say is maybe it's because I'm contrarian, but I heard a lot of people complain about uh, Gal Gadot's acting. And I've heard that in general. That's not a new thing. I, I don't, she, you don't hire her for her, for her range. I mean, you know, she's, I mean, she's not, she's not an amazing actress. I mean, I mean, she's got, she's got a lot of presence. She's obviously gorgeous. Yes. And I, but I thought she was a good Wonder Woman. I, and I, I love that. I, I love that everybody on Themyscira has an Israeli accent because she does. I think, I think that's awesome. I, I just think that was a great choice. I, yeah. I, what I have to say is it's like, well, was Linda Carter the best actress? And then really like, who cares what they were, what, what she's doing with what they've written to me is like, it's fine. Now, what did they write? You could make that argument. Like, yeah, it was kind of weird. He's showing up in another body, but then we see him from her perspective. So it's him the whole time until the I mean, they clearly wanted him back. The thing is yeah. they shouldn't have killed him off in the first movie. Yeah. Like that was dumb. I remember when it happened, I said, why is it, why are you doing this? You're going to want him back. Yeah. Like, no, now obviously you couldn't have had him in 1984, but they did nothing with it. It was in 1984. They had no fun with an 80s thing. They yeah. didn't do any fun 80s stuff. They did like sort of vague nods to leg warmers and the occasional song, yeah. but they didn't really, they didn't really have a lot of fun with it. It could have been, I don't know. It, should, it A movie set in the 80s should have been super fun. I love the 80s. I was an 80s kid. I, you know, it just, it just didn't work. It was just, it, it was, it was, it was not two and a half hours. It just went on and on and on. Yeah. What do you think of all this 80s, um, this 80s, what, what do you want to call it? It's like, it's a resurrection or a, a 80s. Feels like everyone wants to have an 80s themed anything nowadays. Now I'm, that's, that was my impressionable era too. I love the 80s, but I think I love them for different reasons than one than people who read Ready Player One love the 80s, right? I mean, see, I see I Ready Player One I thought was very overrated. I mean, I thought yeah. the movie oh, the movie too. was agree. the movie was fine. The book was the book is just a collection of references. Oh my god, Brett! <laughs> that's exactly what I tell people. I go, if you were there, everything, everything that's written in that book, you're just reading it going, this author basically just picked 1980s pocket. That's what he yeah. did. Pick their pocket. Whatever really resonated with people who were there, he wrote a chapter on it or whatever. And then like suckers, we all read it. I read it because I actually, I didn't even hear about it until some younger, like millennial age people recommend and go, oh yeah, it's very nostalgic about the eighties. You got to read it. And then I'm reading and I'm like, this isn't nostalgic. This is just like someone picking every little bit that's going to resonate with someone who was around then. Totally. And then mishmashing it into a thing. So I agree with you. But I guess the point being is that there is a market that's been made, right? Like I tell everyone about Stranger Things. Um, I really like See, Stranger Things. Is, Stranger Things is um, the first season of Stranger Things is a masterpiece. Yeah. I loved it. I watch, I think I watched it three times and I, and I never do that because there's so much to watch. But boy, yes. oh boy, do I love that first season. Yes. That um, first season is like a memory of something that never happened to you. Like yes. that's, how, that's how deep it got me. It's yeah. like, I, I remember all those things happening to me, even though they obviously didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't grow up in the suburbs. I didn't, I don't, I don't yeah. even know how to ride a bike, but somehow yeah. I was those kids. Like the, there was very, like the thing about Mike, Mike's mother dresses him. That's how, because I, and I know that because my mother dressed me like where, whereas Dustin, yeah. he, he dresses himself. There you go. Like, that's the level of detail that they had. And it was very, very well done. So well done. And even the music, I mean, everything about that movie is just, like you said, it's some kind of echo or dream that you, you already had. Um, and, and so I thought that was really good. 
But it does feel like every, almost every movie now needs to capitalize it. And you see it in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I guess that's more late 70s where he's... That was more seventies with the music. Yeah, you know, I guess so. But that, but again, as long as it makes sense with the plot, like it made sense, it, you know, it made sense with the plot because that was when he left Earth. Yeah. So you know, okay, he that's fine. I, that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're definitely cashing in on this, uh, the kind of the eighties nostalgia that's out there. Um, I wanted to ask you. So we've covered DC um, and Marvel. So definitely under marvel since disney took over marvel what is your opinion about the writing um nothing i haven't noticed anything change okay. i mean they left kevin feige in charge yeah you know like that was that's really what matters as far as i'm concerned i mean i think the the next crop is going to be these disney plus shows yeah so that's where it's going to be that's where it's going to be like okay what um you know what's going to happen there because those are the those are the big ones that's sort of a big shift i mean that's away from movies they're still going to make movies but as i understand it kevin feige can't do everything yeah so he's not I, i'm sure i'm sure he's still involved in the movies to some degree but i think he's really focused on the disney plus shows and i am really curious how that goes because doing a tv show is not the same as doing a movie it's not it could be better in some oh way. absolutely i'm not saying it's a bad thing i mean mandalorian killed it yeah. I haven't liked any of the last three Star Wars movies. And boy, oh boy, it was Mandalorian great. Yeah. No, I, I was, um, yeah, definitely. I dedicated a number of podcasts just to Mandalorian. Uh, so it's interesting. Okay. This, this is going to lead us into the next conversation point. So you didn't like the last three Star Wars movies. I was kind of indifferent. I didn't like them. I don't know if I found them to be worse than one, two, and three the same or maybe a little bit better. I, but it was like, eh, you know? Um, so let's talk about JJ Abrams and let's talk about Star Trek. So, okay, let me kick off. I'll kick off by giving you my opinion on something and then we'll jump into your thoughts. Um, I am not a fan of JJ Abrams at all. Mm. In fact, uh, me and my wife, we got into Lost. Do you remember the TV show Lost? Sure. And we were so invested in that story, in the characters and the stories for about three or four seasons. And then we started thinking, where is this all going? And, and where it went is what I say is probably the biggest failure in TV franchise history with the way they wrapped up uh, uh, Lost, in my opinion. And so I blamed that guy. <laughs> Now he did have to deal with a writer's strike. He did have a lot of. That's a lame excuse. I'm tired of that excuse. I mean, the the yeah. fact is, I mean, so there was a writer. There was a writer's strike. What does that mean? So you didn't have your writers. Okay, well then you write it. You know, yeah. like figure figure it out, or or just take a break, or do something. I mean, there's there's. I mean, I don't I don't I don't like that excuse. Maybe I'm being unfair, but I just no, no. I, I never liked that. I'm I'm with you. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and then he came out with Star Wars, and I was like, oh, but. I want to get your opinion on the new Star Trek franchise since 2009 when Chris Pine, Pine came in as, so we just talked about Chris Pine when he came in as Captain Kirk. Do you like those movies? I do. I mean, I won't say I like the first one because here's the thing. I, I am an original series guy. Yeah. And so as much as I, I respect the next generation, I watched an episode of Next Generation last night. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's still yeah. Star Trek. I still like it. But for me, Star Trek is Kirk and Spock and McCoy and Uhura and all, you know, Sulu and yeah. Chekhov and everybody, you know, even Yeoman Rand, if you want to really get into it. Like, I really, that's what I love. I read Star Trek novels, but only about the original series. So, I mean, it's, so this was a way to do new Star Trek but with the same characters. And yeah. I they came up with a really clever way of doing it. Yeah. It's like, so it's like this little time mumbo jumbo, but it was really clever. It was a way, so that we still, it doesn't erase anything else that happened. Yeah. It's just, it's another dimension. Yes. To quote the Beastie Boys. It's a, you know, it's just a different thing. Yeah. And I know a lot of people didn't like that. I don't agree. I thought the new cast was really solid, especially Zachary uh -huh. Quinto. Zachary Quinto as Spock was a home run. Thank a, you. Such yeah. a home run. Oh my God, such a home run. Yeah. He's terrific. He's terrific. But I also like Chris Pine as Kirk. He didn't do Kirk the way Shatner did it because that would have been silly. Yeah. But he but he, he found his own way around it, and it was fun. I just I, I I to me Star Trek is all Star Wars is about story. Star Trek is about characters. Yeah. That's why I can watch a crappy Star Trek movie, 
like Star Trek Five, the one with Spock's half, crazy half brother. Like, yeah. it's not a good movie, but I enjoy it anyway because I, it's because it's still got the characters that I love. Yeah, no, I like all of the '80s Star Trek movies, um, and then these J.J. Abrams ones. I really enjoyed them. I can't say enough about this Zachary Quinto guy playing Spock. Chris Pine's great. Um, you got Zoe. Oh my God. I love her and everything she does. Oh yeah. So yeah, these movies were really good. And so now I'm very conflicted about JJ Abrams because obviously he did a good, well, he did a good job with Star Trek. That's he okay. Did. He can do a good job with Star Trek and not do a good job with something else. That's all right. Yep. That's kind of where I have to, I guess, wrap it up. So what are, um, what are some of the things that you've been seeing in sci-fi comic book? Uh, I guess um, the the way the stories are developing that is catching your interest lately. Like, what should we be looking for? Anything uh, hot coming out? Well, I mean, the hot thing is going to be WandaVision. That's sort of that's the big MCU it's out now, right? Coming out. That's that's out today. So, yeah. and I am very happy that they're not dropping it all at once. That they're dropping it one episode at a time, and that way I can keep up. Yeah, because you got to watch this stuff quickly before it's spoiled for you. Yeah. So that is something that drives me absolutely bananas. But although they did a good job with the the finale of the Mandalorian, I'm not even going to say what it was, but it had a really cool ending. Yeah. And they the internet managed to keep that under wraps, and so I was actually very happy with the internet in that regard. But in terms of stories that are happening, I mean, you mean actual properties or just th- or just themes? Uh, I guess I guess both. Yeah. What? I mean the I mean the big DC thing is the Zack Snyder Justice League, you know whatever the hell they're calling it. Yeah. I guess they're calling it Zack Snyder Justice League actually. And I I am curious. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm excited, but I am curious to what the hell because apparently he's got a whole different movie in mind than what they, what we actually saw. And I consider myself a student of the genre, so I like to see everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I still haven't seen the the uh, the Birds of Prey movie, which um, or the Harley Quinn movie, whatever the hell it was called. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think of what else I think of. I mean, yeah, I. There's a lot of Star Trek coming up. There's going to be a new Star Trek animated Voyager series with Kate Mulgrew is coming back. And I have not seen Lower Decks. I've heard it's terrific. Okay. Um, I, I also have yet to see Discovery. Discovery is obviously much older. They're into the third season already. So I would I, that'll probably be the next thing that I'm going to watch because okay. I, I just did this whole Star Trek show and everybody was pushing me like, why haven't you seen Discovery? And I'm like, I don't want to pay for more things. Yeah. <laughs> but but I might bite them. I might cut some other stuff and then sure. come back to it. Yeah, I, I never got into that either. I was a original series, next gen. I liked all the movies, um, but I, I haven't followed any of the uh, the other stuff. So I got a question for you. When it came time to introduce my kids to Star Wars, I asked around with a lot of people who are diehard Star Wars fans. I was a diehard Star Wars fan through Empire, uh, not Empire, through Return of the Jedi. And then every everything since then is kind of um, been not so good. Uh, well, I liked Solo. I liked uh, Rogue. I liked Rogue One. I didn't like Solo. You didn't like Solo? Yeah, most people nah. say they don't like it. I liked it just because I think Han Solo is... I always, even as a kid, I always appreciated kind of the anti-hero. I, I like when when characters, even if they're in a hero-type role, that are they're flawed and you you know they're kind of broken, which is why I always like Batman, which is another question. Let me put a pin in that. I want to come back to you, ask a question about Batman. Um, but for my kids, if I want to get them into Star Trek, so I, what I ended up doing is I did the first Star Wars. You have it in your joke. We're calling it New Hope now. It wasn't a New Hope, but the Star Wars, Empire, and then Return. So that's how I started my kids to it. And it Absolutely. worked. That's the right way. Yeah, it worked. And then we went back and did one, two, and three. So we did it basically. Oh, you did? See, I never did one, two, and three. Okay. I skipped them. I just, I was just like, if they want to see these someday, that's fine. But I'm not going to be the one that introduces them. Okay. I mean, it, I mean, I think it's probably a little silly, but I just, I am not a fan of those movies and I don't have any great connection to them. The only one I sort of have a connection to is three, because I remember seeing it in a movie theater at like seven o'clock in the morning okay. with all the other maniacs at the Ziegfeld in New York, which is a great old big movie theater. And it was supposed to be the last Star Wars movie ever. And yeah. so that was exciting. And yeah. so that was really fun. And also it's, it's one where evil wins, yeah. which I like, and, uh, you know, evil can win because you know, what's going to happen next, you know, eventually things are going to be okay. Yes. So, you know, that was fun, but it was, you know, they're not, they're not really good movies, especially number two. Number two is just, ugh. I, I tell number people is almost unwatchable. Yes. This is what I tell people. I say for me, my subjective opinion, 
Number two was not just the worst Star Wars in the whole franchise. It might be the worst movie ever greenlit, ever. <laughs> the writing, terrible. The acting, terrible. It's just everything about that is just off-putting. Um, which is why I think three was good for me because that's when Anakin it's, I think the last scene in three was actually pretty powerful, but then at the same token, you're like, Oh, finally he's Vader already. I don't right. know. Right. I mean, but, but, but the thing is like on like conceptually, that's cool. Yeah. Like I like that, that he's Vader, that he becomes yes. Vader and that was neat, you know? And so and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing that happen. And I think that's fun yep. for a movie and it's just, it's, I don't know, it's kind of a cool thing, but it, but it was certainly not super well executed. I mean, the no. movie was the movie was a bit of a mess. Yeah, I think those those one, two, and three are not uh, not good. But then my kids get, really got into the cartoons, and I would say that Rebels is probably their favorite. Uh, I've heard good things about Rebels, and I like Clone Wars. I, I watched Clone Wars. I, I believe I got them all on DVD with the kids. This was a long time ago, and I sat down and I watched them, and I was pleasantly surprised. They're actually really quite good. Yes, we're about season four on Clone Wars now, and I like the I like Clone Wars too. Um, so anyway, so it was a success. The kids love Star Wars. It's great. Um, obviously, when they're a little older, I'm going to get them into Lord of the Rings, but I want to try and get them into Star Trek also. As a dad, as a Star Trek fan, how do you introduce your kids to Star Trek? How old, how old are your kids? Ten and eight. Um, I, that might be a little old for original series, only because it's so hokey. Yeah, like it, dep- it depends on how much they listen to you. I, I started with my kids at a younger age on the original Star Trek and they liked it. It has not stuck with them very well. Right. You know, like they didn't they didn't take to it the way I took to it. I mean, I would I devoured Star Trek when I was a kid yeah. and I continue to, you know, like I that's space. I go between reading comedy books and reading Star Trek books like that's sort of the way I, that that's basically my reading. But um. I think, I mean, I, you could try original series. It's probably a little boring for them is the problem. Well, I think, I agree. Because I think the more of the computer graphic stuff, like especially Clone Wars, my one knock on Clone Wars is, yeah, and you have a joke that kind of touches on this, but Clone Wars is almost too warry. You know, I want to have, I want to watch this Clone Wars where it's all character development, intrigue, spy something like because rebels there was a lot more intrigue and um uh more mission based rather than set battle based but clone war there's so much uh fighting that i almost think they're overstimulated so if i were to go to the original star trek i agree with you they might think well this is a little it's very slow it's very slow The, the effects aren't good the acting is a little stilted i mean there's it's it's very much of its time now i i like i said i mean i did it with my kids my kids i remember i was out and I was I was coming home and we, we didn't we didn't really text back then. But so I, I get home and I'm thinking, all right, the kids are with the babysitter. And I was like, when I get home, they're going to be halfway through a Star Trek. Like we, every night we would sit down and watch a Star Trek episode. That was kind of our ritual. Nice. And I was like, I, I, I just I just had a feeling like when I get home, I was getting home a little later than I usually did. They're going to already have started because they're really into it. And they had and they were like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I was like, you know what? It's actually really gratifying because it means you like it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it means you're having fun. And that's what I want. I want you to sort of experience it and enjoy it on your on your own and you know have fun with it. So, you know, they but they were younger. And I think they were w- more willing to take the journey. Like I remember playing Mr. Spock with my younger son. You know, he, I, God, what was what was he, five? I mean, you know, uh, six years old, something like that. Very, very young. And so at that age, there's a little more like, li- first of all, they're more willing to listen to daddy. At least that's been my experience. And then also, you know, they're just, just a little more willing to kind of take the journey and not be as, you know, like this is boring. Um, and it just depends on your kids. I mean, because frankly, that J.J. Abrams movie is probably a good place to start. It's just not the same. Like yeah. the knock on that movie is that there's a little too much whiz bang, you know, a little too much lens flare, all of the things that J.J. Abrams is known for. And I kind of feel like, you know, I mean, that's sort of the way things are going now. I would say Discovery, but as I understand it, Discovery, they curse. So you can't, so you probably don't want to deal with that. Like discovery has like sex and cursing, which a lot of fans are not into. Yeah. Yeah. Sex definitely don't want to deal with that with a 10 and eight year old cussing. I'm sure there's movies that they're watching that there's cussing in, but um, yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking next gen, they are still forgiving of older style of movies and let, uh, I guess more low fidelity, what you would call it, uh, you know, because they're still 10 and eight. 
I think as they get older, all of us are kind of getting brain, brainwashed to need so much action so quickly that it's just kind of the way we're going. I think if they're willing to watch older movies, then I would give, I would give original series. A okay. Try, because why it. not? Worst case, worst case, they won't like it. What are you going to do? Yeah. And I haven't watched those in a long time either. So I'd like to go back and watch them. It's fun. It, at least it was for me. I really enjoyed going through it with them. Nice. Nice. I'll go with that. So before we wrap this up, because you got to kick, cook your chicken. I'm going to hop on another compliment, but uh, who was your favorite Batman in the movies? Oh, well, it wouldn't be the movies. My favorite Batman is Adam West. Oh, I mean, if not that Christian Bale, if it's, if it's a movie Batman, and I guess technically there was a movie because there was a movie of those. I love Adam West. I think Adam West is, is the best Batman. I, I understand that that's a weird, a weird choice, <laughs> but I absolutely adore Adam West Batman. I try to watch the Batman movie, you know, the, the movie version of the TV show at least once a year um, because it's, I, have, I have it on DVD. It's amazing. I love it. I, you're, I, you have no, I have the box set of the original series, okay. you know, the, whole, the, the old Batman series. Yeah. Um, but I mean, otherwise I think Christian Bale did a good job, but an argument can be made that that was only kind of Batman. Like he didn't really, that version of Batman was somewhat limited, Yeah. you know, because, because Christopher Nolan doesn't really like comic books, yeah. which is a weird choice for a guy to direct Batman. But as I understand it, that's not really his thing. Okay. Um, but he, but he's a much better actor. I mean, Chris, uh, Christian Bale is, is, is certainly the best actor to ever play Batman. Yeah. I, I go with, you know what, for me, well, first off, let me just comment. Uh, I didn't expect anyone to say that because Adam West, that's arguably to your point, that's almost like a different Batman. Universe. It's a totally different, ba- it's a, it's a very specific type of, it's sixties Batman. Yeah. And that is very, tr- it's very true to certain comic books. It is not true to the dark Knight comics, yes. which is, und- now, I totally get that that's more interesting. Yeah. But I, but I, I'm not, you know, you're going to tell me I don't like 60s Batman. I love 60s Batman. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, remember the Batusi? I mean, Adam, Adam West was amazing. He was an absolutely perfect Batman. I mean, there's no, no doubt in my mind. There's a, there's a fantastic show that I, I don't think ever made it past the pilot stage called Look Well. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube and you should watch it. Conan O'Brien and Robert Smigel produced it and it is genius. He plays an aging actor who, who, become, who gets to be an honorary deputy and decides to actually like fight crime. And it's genius. It's absolutely genius. Adam West was okay. a cut above. I love Adam West. Well, I would argue he's a great comedian. Sure. His absolutely. Timing, his, the way he delivers things. Great timing. Great. Fantastic timing. So I, for me with Batman, it goes, this could be just because it was the first Batman. I really liked Michael Keaton. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I liked Michael Keaton. And then after that, it's Christian Bale. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, you can't argue Christian Bale, not that Michael Keaton is a bad actor, like, yeah. like, but Christian Bale is the best actor to ever play Batman. I mean, there's yeah. no, uh, my issue with, with Michael Keaton, I will never forgive it. And maybe it's more of the director. Batman doesn't need reading glasses. And there's a scene oh. in that, there's a scene in that movie where he, where he's like, re, he picks up the paper or yeah. he picks up something and he puts on his reading glasses. And I'm like, no, Batman yeah. doesn't need reading glasses. That's not, that's not okay. That, that is a good point. That that's true. I forgot. Always bothered me. Um, and then I, this is, this is for me. I'm very, uh, I guess, I don't know. I'm set in my ways with this one. I cannot believe Ben Affleck ben, was cast as Batman. I'm so enraged by it. I haven't seen any of them yet. He looked, he looked right, which was kind of, which was kind of cool. Cause he's big. He's sneaky big. And that was actually kind of fun is he looked the, the scenes that they show the best parts of Batman versus Superman, which is not a good movie. Yeah. But the best parts of it were the scenes that looked were straight out of a comic book. Well, one, one thing Zack Snyder is good at is staging scenes that look like the comics that they come from. Yeah. And like Watchmen, the best part of Watchmen was the Dr. Manhattan sequence that, that is right out of the comic book. Like you could, it is word for word, image for image out of the comic book. And it is brilliant. It's so well done. And you got to give him credit. I mean, I'm not, I don't love the guy, but you got to give credit where it's due. He did a terrific job. And it was the same thing in Batman versus Superman. He looked like Batman from the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. You know, do you bleed? You will. You know, and it's it's kind of silly. I mean, the Batman voice has gotten a particularly bad rap after Christian Bale. Christian Bale did it, and it was he did it in the um, the Heath Ledger movie, and it was particularly stupid. Yeah, like it, I remember walking out of there. I said to my friend, "So what's wrong with his voice?" And yeah. he was like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "It, it sounds ridiculous. He's, he's, he sounds like Cookie Monster." I don't know. Yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, but 
you know, so I, I, I read something online. There was a, a vague, like Twitter decided to do an appreciation of Batfleck. And I I was a little swayed. I'm not going to lie. I actually was like, you know what? Because I wasn't really into it. I was always, I was definitely in the ones making fun of him. I don't really like those movies. I've seen them, but they're not very good. Okay. And I was a little bit swayed by some of the passion there. The, the, I'm, 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 I'm sort of tempted to give him another chance. I, okay. I'm i not really sure why, because the guy's, doing, the guy's doing just fine without me. Yeah. But, you know, I just... I feel like, I don't know, maybe I've been a little unfair. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I have hated him in every role he's ever done. There's something about him. Oh, okay. Well, you didn't like Argo? Argo was a really good Oh, I don't like anything, anything with this. For some, for some reason, I just (laughs) see through to a douchebag. And so I think he probably is. I I think the general consensus, I mean, I I think he's also troubled. I think he's got some alcohol problems and some gambling problems. I think he's a bit of a mess as I understand it. I don't, I don't know. I'm just basing that on random gossip things I've read, but I think that I, I think that's generally established that he is not so well put together that he, (laughs) for all of his success, he has not handled it very well. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm that guy who uh, I'm still not going to give him my approval, even though he doesn't need it. Um, exactly. He, I mean, he doesn't, that's the thing. I am sure he, the thing is like, I would say he doesn't care, but there's that great video when they were doing a press tour and uh, someone said it to uh, sounds of silence. I don't know if you remember that. It was a meme uh, that went around at the time and it was just they were closing in on him. And you could see that he was really unhappy that yeah. Batman v Superman had been just an ungodly mess and that nobody right. liked it. Like, cause you don't want to be hated. You know, Henry Cavill is sort of like, oh, yes, well, Batfleck is just sitting there, you know, like there's not a tear coming down his cheek, but there might as well be. And, you know, it was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, as much as you can feel bad for a guy like that, maybe I feel a little bad for him. But I don't know. It, the, I would say the movies weren't his fault. Yeah. The re- Batman versus Superman was a mess because Zack Snyder is a mess. And Justice League was a mess because the, because they did, who the hell knows what they were doing. I and mean, I don't think they had any sense of what they were planning on doing. Yeah. You you brought up Watchmen, and uh, uh, I was going to end on the Batman thing, but that's one of my favorite comic movies from a comic book I think ever. Um, did you watch the uh, series the HBO? Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah. So talk about overachieving. Yeah. My God, I mean, what a what a brilliant piece of writing and sh- directing and every everything about that. And I'm so glad they're not doing more. It's it's one of those cases where where it was terrific. It was probably perfect, yeah. and they're not going to do more. And I have no problem with that. I would much rather they they just stop where they wanted to stop. They told the story they wanted to tell, and now they're moving on to other things. And I think that's great. I have no problem with that. Okay, I could have used a little more, but <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was very good. I w- I would have watched more. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I would if they do more, I will watch it. Yeah, but I think that rather than forcing it, I would rather see them walk away. You know head held high. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a good one. Cool. Well, Brett, you got to get to the family. I got to get to a comedy mic. I really appreciate the time, uh, joining my podcast. Once again, uh, you can catch Brett twice a week doing his gluten-free zoom mic. He also has a fantastic podcast that I'm highly recommending called comics who read comic books. Did I get that right? Comics who love comic books. Comics who love, that's right. Comics who love comic books. It's a really good podcast. We didn't get into the whole Captain Marvel debate. I I like that uh, discussion you had. I got all worked up. Oh, Brett was worked up. I got all up. worked up. I was, I was all lathered up. It was crazy. Yeah. You got to catch yeah. it on the podcast. It was, it was quite a moment. Definitely, definitely. So thanks for joining. And no problem. Thanks I, for having me. Yeah, we'll definitely see each other. Okay, great.